0: almost awaken podcast a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts Brittany hartley and bill Reed. here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science psychology and human development our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality no nonsense required check us out at almost where you can check out past episodes make a donation email us a question or comment or find out more about the resources we shared and now today's podcast episode hey bill so Hi.
1: I I wanted them to I wanted them to applaud you and folks will see why as we get into this conversation let's let them finish there we go um <laughs> Britt Hartley how are you
2: I'm doing okay. My, my soul is great, but I blew out my knee again today. And Bill, like when someone tells me or something, I haven't gone in yet. I have a point. I have an appointment after this podcast and like, like something popped and like you and I have been in the knee business long Mm -hmm. enough to know that something's wrong. And so when everyone, when anyone tells me like we are designed by an intelligent creator and I'm like, what do you mean intelligently designed bill and i are walking around with knees that are not connected what do you mean intelligently designed this is not this is i not can intelligent. tell
1: you i can tell you two things that tell me for sure it is not intelligent design one is putting the breathing pipe in the food pipe in the same spots yeah. right mm-hmm. second is putting the sewer treatment plant next to the playground yeah those two right there
2: i knew you were going there on the heavenly
1: father you're a dirty little boy you
2: are why are we putting the sex holes next to the waist holes anyway so because (laughs) we are not intelligently designed i have some knee issues that i'm going to have to go in for after this because like knees are just so tricky why 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 anyway so other than that i'm doing fantastic how are you
1: i am super sorry to hear that uh having I think I've said before, three torn ACLs. I actually think it's four, 12 years Mm -hmm. old, 14 years old, 16 years old. And then in my late twenties, early thirties in a motorcycle accident. So four torn ACLs. I'm good. Um, Yours is still
2: torn though. Like the last one you never went in and fixed it. Because
1: my left knee was torn three times. The first time it was, they take your patella tendon and reconstructed my ACL. The second time we used a cadaver. And the third time the specialist said, I'm really sorry, but because we've been in there twice before, we don't really have anything solid to secure to. We could do it, but you would absolutely have horrible arthritis very quickly. Mm. And so we think it's better that you just spend the rest of your life with a torn ACL. And other than I like my sports career is over, right? Yeah. I never had one to begin your, with. Other than that, your, like your
2: basketball career ended and your future yeah. in the NBA. Other
1: than that, like I it doesn't bother me too much, other than I've got like 75-year-old man knees that hurt yeah. all the time. But I get to walk and do the things I want to do. So
2: I will say the only benefit to hurting my knee is that hurting my knee was the impetus to get me on TikTok because I was so bored laying in bed recovering from knee surgery six mm. months ago that I got on TikTok, and we'll talk about that later about how that's um, kind of worked out for me. So right. I love there, it. you know there is a silver lining.
1: I was going to say today's episode. I am to the audience. We'll we'll find out here why in a little bit. But I am excited for you, and I'm saddened by the situation. Mm-hmm. But it's good for you, and you know, bad for me. And uh, <laughs> but we're going to have a good conversation here about some yeah. of the work that we've done, and you can share with folks uh, the future yeah. of Brittany Hartley.
2: Yeah, so I'll share that uh, because six months ago I joined TikTok because I I hurt my knee and I'm just making these little short videos. And there is nothing that I've said on my TikToks that I have not said on this podcast. like It's just classic. Britster stuff that i do every day on the podcast but because they're just little clips and how it goes you know and how it goes viral and people comment or whatever it's just been really, really working for me and then this past week i had the opportunity to uh like i turned in my application to become a content creator and now i'm actually making um some money doing content creation mm-hmm. and so kind of like what nuance ho did to john delin uh, for me and my family and just kind of the, the situation with my kids, the ability to support my family's income and talk about the things that I love to talk about mm-hmm. and do it a couple minutes at a time in my schedule um, and have it kind of better support my family is just something that I couldn't turn down. And so I'm super sad. I had no intention of leaving the podcast um, because I love our conversation so much and I love Bill so much. Um, so this is not in any way some kind of rift or anything like that. I'll always be Tim Team Bill. but uh, the opportunity to do my own content creation um is just something that I feel like i'm I'm ready to do. And really, it's because I got this two years on this podcast with Bill to, practice my voice. I wouldn't have been able to do this two years ago, but we've been talking about this and I've been practicing my voice enough that, that I feel like I'm ready to kind of take a jump into my own kind of content creation. So I will be, we'll, we'll talk maybe more about the end about me leaving and where I'm going and where you're going with the podcast, but I thought it would be really fun as kind of our, uh, I was going to say last episode, but I mean, we've been podcasting every at least every year or two for like a decade. So, and I
1: imagine in the new format that I'm going to do, and we'll share that at the end as well. But in the new format, I'm going to do certainly you're going to be as long as you are in agreement. you're going to be one of the folks who... Uh, yeah, and,
2: I, and I'd and i love to bring some people in from time to time I'd and hop it. back on. But as far as me acting as co-host, this will be our last episode. So I thought it'd be really fun to just go down memory lane and go back to the podcasts and topics that we've done. For you listening, this may be um, just like a fun review of the places that we've explored together. And it also might be a, an opportunity for you to hear like, oh, you guys did a podcast about that. Um, I really want to listen. And I, and I also thought it would just be really fun for us to go back and see kind of just what we've done over the past two years and because I'm super proud of what we what we accomplished in the conversations we put together and I want to see what stands out to like because I have things that stand out in my brain but I really want to see what stands out in Bill's brain too um, as far as the conversations we've had
1: sweet Uh, and I I will put up on the screen maybe some of these like the thumbnails and stuff so that we can kind of see which ones we're talking about that'd be kind of cool
2: yeah. So we really got started with this Buddhism for Beginners, which I remember being real. It was really impactful for you, Bill. And I know that it was because you still bring it up years later about concepts that we discussed then. And so we did, let's see, 12 parts. I, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't a co-host at this point. I was just a guest that you invited on and so i only did maybe three or four of those but what do you remember most about kind of going through that jack cornfield book and that buddhism journey
1: yeah um i think buddhism being such an old religious tradition it has some things figured out that some of the newer religions don't quite have yet and very practical. Like I I could care less about the religious beliefs of Buddhism. Buddhism teaches us that the world is just the way it is, that we we need to learn to have uh, acceptance of that, that we need to reduce suffering in the world, and that we need to learn to sit with our feelings. And at the time where I started to get into this, I was having conversations uh, with Glenn Oslin from Infants on Thrones. And uh, let me see if I can put a little screen up here that'll... uh, Makes some sense. Um, I was having conversations with Glenn Oslin. He was doing his, uh, like, it was a bath, it was a, I'm trying to remember what the name of the uh, podcast was, but it was like Conversations with God or something, but it had a picture of a bathtub on the image of his his show. And so he was stepping outside the Mormon arena and he was having these really deep conversations about um, Michael Singer and uh, his his work, and after I had done those conversations, I listened. I downloaded Jack Cornfield's conversations on Audible, and I was just in awe of the kinds of things Jack was teaching his audience, his his group that he was reading or or doing his presentations for. And I thought, man, I this seems like such a bathing with God. Thank you, Mr. Edwards. Um, I assume that's a Mister. I shouldn't say that, but Edwards. Thank you, Jay Edwards. Um, I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but I I really am thinking like this deep thought about how practical Jack Kornfield's ideas were for me in my life and the middle of me making some of the greatest transitions from this old way of thinking, which was if I check these boxes, I'm a good person. And I'm able to really avoid being accountable and confronting my unhealthiness to the things that I was learning in the world around me that was really being spoken to really well by Jack Kornfield, uh on how I could really show up. If I really wanted to take being a better human seriously, what it would take to do that. And I started really putting the work in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted other people to have those tools. And I thought to myself, I said, who are the wisest people I know who could, who would, who would listen to this, and come into a conversation helping uh, give insight to all of us. And I came up with you and Anthony Miller and Janice Bengler. And those conversations, uh, Till the Day I Die, that 12-part series, I- I've sent to my kids, I've mm-hmm. sent to friends, I've I've told everyone, if you want to understand how I'm different today than I was five years ago or 10 years ago, or what mm-hmm. the secret is to being a better human being, please listen to these Um, I'm of all the work I've done in 10 years, this is up there as some of the stuff I'm most proud of.
2: Yeah. And I can tell that it really, that it really changed you because you kept like coming back to these concepts again and again. And I'm looking at the list and it's like 10 perfections of the heart and the four elements and the four abodes. And if we actually had to like, get out a pen and paper and, and list all these things, five hindrances of awakening. I don't know if we like Mm-mm. could actually list it Mm-mm. because it wasn't like, it wasn't like we were listing some kind of like, it's like a plan of salvation where there's like a list of a do's and don'ts. It's so it's not the, the actual list that we remember at all. Yeah. It's that it's the conversations of of the approach and the perspective and the deep inner work. And that changed us even though, so even though it was so impactful, it's like, we couldn't even go back and list all the things in order that we talked about. There's no, there's no way, but it still changed us because it was never about the list. It was always about the approach and it, it definitely changed both of us.
1: And, and it's where I learned, you know, I'm reminded of times where you or Jana, Uh, and Jana does this all the time where Mm -hmm. I would say something and what I said was true, but it, it really wasn't true for everyone. But in my head it is right. Like Mm -hmm. we all all have our own perspective. And Jana would jump in and go, that's true. No. And Jana
2: is the queen. If I ever were to buy, I should buy her a gift of some kind of like trophy that says yes. And because she is the queen of yes. And she does it better than anyone I know.
1: (laughs) And so she would go like, yes, and this other side of the coin is also true. And I think we need so many reminders that this is not a black and white world, and it's so nuanced. And uh, those conversations were just four really grounded perspectives, I think, all in the same room, safe to disagree, safe to share your experience. And um, I I felt like they were magical almost.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The difference for me was at the time I didn't have this nice like podcast set that I, that I do now. Do you remember where I was doing it? Out your I car? Was, I was in, I had like, so this is a couple of years, this is 2022. So my kid, my two babies are one, like I am in it as far as child rearing. And, and I would go out to the car and on my phone, join these conversations. And it was a little bit tricky for me. Like it was a little bit hard to pull off on my end, but it was like water to my soul, so much mm. that I was like, "Take the kids. I'm going into my car with my phone. It's super awkward." Uh, there was one episode where it was cold, and I was trying to like keep the car running quietly <laughs> because I needed the soul food so much that I like found a way to be a part of the conversation and keep coming back, even though I was like completely sleep deprived and dying from you know having having young children. So. Um, That was a harder time in my life, but it was such good conversation that um, I just went in my cold car just to be a part
1: of it. (laughs) Yeah. And when we got done with these 12 parts, it was it was sort of around that time that I have kind of this epiphany that I just I need a co-host. I've I've got too much on my plate and I'm sort of sensing that I'm getting exhausted. And uh, I reached out to you to ask you if you would come on and be the co-host. Actually, what first happened is I, I wanted to bring female voices into this arena of podcasting. You threw your name in the hat. You created an episode. Um, if I remember right, that episode was well-received by folks that you had shared it with, but there was some feedback that maybe a second voice with you would mm-hmm. be better to facilitate these conversations. It was
2: basically like this was good, but like you're sounding like a history teacher, just droning on and on. Like you need somebody else, and like that's a, that's true even now. <laughs> that's still true about me. <laughs>
1: and and at the same time, I was also offering you the chance to be the co-host mm-hmm. on the show. And so after you had tried that episode, got that feedback, you reached back out to me, and uh, we moved forward with the two of us being the mm-hmm. co-host of Almost Awaken. We rebranded the show. You. Uh, went out and got a new intro made which we just played uh, today uh, you had a new logo created which was much more simplified from the old one that we had um, and I think more professional looking and uh, you sort of brought in the I, I you know I wanted you to have ownership of the show and uh, you went off and created essentially a new branding for it which I thought was beautiful for the show and I you know I hope you're okay but we'll continue to use
2: absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely all right. So then we started podcasting and I think we had on Jared Anderson here, but I think we had him on again later. Do you remember him talking about I think the, the thing that stood out with him is this idea that he created his own gods and then he started to have, you know, of of values that he has, like temperance and things like that. And he created even images of these gods that spoke to him and then started to have like real, like, quote unquote, real kind of conversations, prayers, insights with this kind of pantheon of gods that he had created. And so it was a different spin on like uh, being able to use tools from religion. He essentially just created his own gods and religion and started to have, because subconsciously this is kind of playing in his brain, started to have realish experiences even though he knows that it's not capital T true. And I thought that was very, it takes maybe a creative type to do that, but that's kind of what stood out to me with him.
1: It One of the things we're kind of being shown over and over again, and that we focus on this show is that everything is myth. And uh, I was just in a conversation with a friend this morning at a coffee shop. And we were talking about how when we deconstructed religion, we thought ri- ritual was just the stupidest shit in the world and get rid of all of it right and Mm. and then we both were like but then you have to have it because my friend one of the things he does he makes his entire family homemade pizza every friday night Mm. and so he's like man i just was at that moment where i just didn't want ritual and ritual is just this other thing that religion uses and i don't need it and i said yes that's the guy who makes homemade pizza every friday Mm. Uh, he goes you're right like we all need ritual don't we and i said yeah yeah Mm. we do we do um And that's like I I feel
2: like that's when you come back. Like when you're deconstructing, I do think that man maybe it's healthy, maybe it's inevitable to just be like F ritual and myth for a while because you got y'all yet, y'all effed with me. But then later on, you kind of can once you kind of heal a little bit from that, you can come back and start to play in myth in ways that you couldn't when you were first deconstructing.
1: My ayahuasca experience was full of ritual, Mm. full of uh and not religious because it wasn't attached to a story, but it was as close as you could get to something connected to religion without it being religion
2: hmm. uh,
1: and and crucial to the experience it, the ritual initiated us into the sacred space.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. All right. Then we kind of did an episode on no nonsense approach to spirituality, which if you've like heard me talk for even five seconds, we kind of get that I was just kind of outlining my approach to this as we were getting into the podcast. And then we had our first really big guest, which was Bart Campolo, who is um, doing the Humanize Me podcast. And he's a big deal. Like that was a pretty big guest for us to get that early on together. And I remember that conversation. And I also just remember him being so kind. It's so interesting that like we had a two hour conversation with him because we did it in two parts. And I just remember kind of some of the things that we talked about but it's like what Maya Angelou says that that you don't remember what people say. You you often remember how people made you feel. And I remember he would always say, like, if I said something, he'd be like, yeah, Brit. And he'd say my name. And then he'd say, and Bill, what do you think about this? And, and just like that inclusion and saying our names, it just like, you could tell he really kind of cared. And I still remember that. That's probably my, my strongest memory of that episode. Oh, you're muted, Bill.
1: Just seeing bart Campolo's name it, it it reminds me of something that i think needs to be said is that when you came on as the co-host you hit the ground running and from then bart Campolo to uh to the present moment you made an extraordinary effort of reaching out to people and it's what allowed us from time to time to have really uh well-known respected guests that were having deep influence out in the world and i just want to say you know, that ability to just go like, I'm just going to email people. I'm going to ask them. The worst they can say is no. Mm-hmm. And for you to have put all the time and effort you did. Uh, I just told somebody today that you really were responsible. I, I think maybe around 80% of the content that we did in terms of securing the guest, coming up with the subject matter, writing out the questions. And I, I wasn't spending the time that you were. I know you you said, Bill, you take care of the technology. I'll take care yeah, of the rest.
2: Uh-huh.
1: But you really did do the hard work on this podcast. And uh, I just Can I to tell, say, uh, appreciate yeah, you.
2: Yeah. And I, I wouldn't be able, in this world at all if I didn't have someone on the tech side because I was just in a place with kids. Like the, the thought of trying to figure that out, I could never do. But also like you had your own moments where I had to sit back and like, oh, my God, like. Bill's like a Buddha, like he said something just so interesting or profound. So I do think you sometimes undervalue yourself. But um, yeah, as far as as bringing in guests, there were times I don't think this is a lie. You could tell me if it's a lie. But uh, I would say like, hey, this Mormon discussions um, platform on YouTube is kind of like a top producing YouTube presence. And that's true. Like you have some I don't I don't remember what your kind of top YouTube, whatever presence is, but it's like a powerful presence on YouTube. And so I kind of used the platform as like a, Hey, like people are listening. I just maybe didn't say that it wasn't just the Almost Awakened podcast; it was like the platform yeah. <laughs> that was getting like the the big YouTube viewership. Mm-hmm. So I was almost using like you and RFM's kind of popularity on YouTube to help maybe get me in with some guests where you have to show like, hey, this is actually a functioning kind of platform. <laughs> yeah,
1: in in all honesty, the YouTube videos that we do, for instance, this one we do here, it'll get somewhere in the range of. On the really low end, 400 views to uh, maybe 1,400 views, and uh, the podcast audio that we put on the third-party podcast apps uh, gets more. It, 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 which I sort of surprises me, but people are still doing that sort of technology of just listening to MP3 files. But uh, listening to just the audio, we would get four to eight thousand, four to nine thousand, somewhere in there, and just kind of as a standard. And uh, what always worried me when we had guests on doing a live show is that very few people tune into the live version. So right now we have 42 people and that's actually high for us. Normally we'll have 13 or 17 or 19. And I was always sort of a little embarrassed that what they were seeing was like 19 people are participating in this show. Mm-hmm. And and in reality, it was thousands and thousands of people who by the end of a month had listened or watched it. Um but like you, I often put the channel's total views as <laughs> what I'm telling the guest. Yeah. Um and some episodes that we do, I don't remember which one, but some of our almost awaken episodes are at like eighteen thousand or so uh yeah. views on on YouTube. Yeah. And and so uh I yeah, probably we did we definitely didn't.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's like we're all kind of have to play the game a little bit, you know, in yeah. order to try to claim time from these people. And so yeah. I'm not going to lead with, Hey, come on this podcast. There's 10 live people watching. Like I'm yeah. not going to lead with Bernie that. Brown's not <laughs> signing
1: up
0: for that. No. Or I, Mark <laughs> yeah.
2: Or anybody or me. <laughs> I don't know. No, just kidding. Um, yeah. So yeah. So sometimes I would kind of just use the platform to to try to get some attention to this particular podcast, and I don't feel bad about that
1: at all. I all really right. enjoyed yeah, the uh, the consent episode. I mm-hmm. because consent was something that I never put any thought into as a kid growing up in the public school system. And in the space of deconstructed high demand religion, you very quickly learn that high demand religions capitalize on sabotaging your consent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the reason that religion doesn't want to teach you consent is because yeah, Christianity is
2: still not not teaching consent, like no. specifically not because then you'll have to examine some things.
1: Yeah, so I enjoyed that one a ton.
2: Yeah, but the
1: one that sticks out to my mind in the early going, uh, and I know this is one you'd want to mention, is the hero's journey.
2: Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Like, really, really interesting to go through it it's it just feels so ancient like how do we have this this is where it almost gets like mushroomy or psychedelic or or just really profound where like how do we have this internal sense of what a story is you know what i mean how do we have the story narratives that return again and again these star wars kind of epic stories and they follow this similar Pattern. And when we get to the end and it ends how we want it to end, we just feel such relief and we feel just such joy. And it, 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 there's something just really profound about that. And we both learned a lot by digging into that. And I think we both would have benefited more from hearing about the, the hero's journey and where we were in that journey kind of when we were deconstructing, like I would have benefited from learning that earlier on, just so I could see like, hey, descending into the depths and feeling like you're dying. That's actually a really essential part of your story. And like, hold on, because all heroes are going to have to do that. And there's gifts on the other side of that. I didn't like I, I just didn't notice that I just felt like I was dying. You know what I mean?
1: One of the things that I had spent a little bit of time in was Joseph Campbell's, I think it's called The Power of Myth, right? The big book, Mm -hmm. and uh it taught me you know some of these concepts that we you know went over in this in this episode I know you brought up Joseph Campbell sort of to initiate us into the conversation and um like you I'm sort of in awe that those themes run common throughout all of these fictional narratives that we create and for thousands and probably you know a million years We humans have this kind of in our collective consciousness uh, because it really is the journey of learning and thinking you got, you know, having Dunning-Kruger effect on the front end, thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. things you don't know and being really bad at things you think you're good at and then getting challenges um, and those challenges not only fill in those blind spots. So now you actually have some comprehension of the thing you thought you knew, but didn't, but it also there, they, they improve your character because on the front end, you haven't had the chance to prove your integrity yet, or if you have had the chance you failed. And life has a way if you're if you want it, life has a way of picking you up and giving you a chance to really become uh, someone that stands for something. And the hero's journey, for me, that's what the hero does. The hero starts off thinking they're great. They get knocked down. And then they get up and they really do do the work to be good at something and mm-hmm. to show up in a healthy way. And, and then to um, bring
2: it back to the community in some way, because that's mm-hmm. always kind of the end of, of that journey is like some kind of return. But do you think looking back, I'm going to say yes for me. Do you think that we had a little bit of maybe internalized misogyny coming up in the sense that I didn't even ask if there was a heroine's journey or how it may be mm. different. We just kind of said, this is the hero's journey. And even though I mentioned, I think there was one or two kind of, cause I would use examples like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. And I think we used, um, what's the Katniss, the hunger game story. Mm-hmm. And so this, that there was like a female hero, but, but she's like a very, like she shoots arrows. She kind of is like putting on more of like a masculine story. She's saving the world, right? And so I almost kind of, even in the female characters I was using, um, didn't really recognize that maybe the her- there was a heroine's journey and that it would be different. I didn't learn that until two years later after this episode. So I feel like, you know, looking back Maybe there was some kind of internalized kind of patriarchy or misogyny that I didn't even think to ask. Yeah.
1: yeah. And somebody's saying you covered the heroine's journey in the Barbie episode. And you're right. Yeah. What we're saying is that when we do the later. hero's journey, we were clueless to it. And by the way, in the in the heroine's journey with what we tied to Barb, the Barbie movie, you even shared like didn't Joseph Campbell sort of denigrate the yeah. lady who's like, there's a heroine's He's, journey too.
2: He basically said that women are already there. They just need to recognize like they've already made it and so yeah. it, it was kind of like this um, pedestal
1: thing that we do right? yeah
2: some pedestalizing and there is some sense that like women can do this inner work in a, in a way that's you know, when you look at, for example, a five-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy, like the five-year-old girl, we can say, oh, she's more socially advanced. She's more socially aware. Her language is better. Like there is some development there for sure. But to say that, like, we don't go on a journey, we're just there, just kind of discounted kind of the struggle of what it is to kind of go through the heroine's journey. Um, and that is so interesting to hear, like, it just shocked me. I, I remember where I was. I was, I was downstairs in my gym when we were listening to that podcast that I sent you where she says, the heroine's journey begins where the hero's journey ends. And it just stopped me in my tracks. And um, so we did eventually go do the heroine's journey. And I thought that that was one of my favorite episodes too. But mm. I went at the time when we did the hero's journey episode, had no idea about it. Didn't even come up even mm. in our research. Didn't come up at all.
1: Right. Right. Totally. Totally.
2: All right. So then we talked with our buddy, Phil Mecklemore, who you've talked with multiple times and uh, just a deep soul and, and a really good conversations with them.
1: Yep. Just a and, deep resource. Yeah. And I like Phil because I know Phil and I disagree on really big issues in the space of kind of reconstructing a second half of life. And I think Phil is deeply wise, grounded, experienced, Uh, and has wisdom to share. And so I sort of like this space where I respect your perspective, but I also deeply disagree with you. And yeah. to let the audience hear both sides and make up their own mind about how that's, they'll That's your
2: life. eightness, where it's like, oh, you're a little, like, I respect you. Like, you have to have the respect, but, oh, you're a little bit different. Like, that's fun. Let's play there. That's, yeah, a, little let's, bit of your, that's a little bit of your eightness coming let's out. Let's get in the squared
1: <laughs> circle and fare <laughs> off. I love it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then we talked with David Peck, who's still mm-hmm. my Sufi teacher. I meet with him next week. And again, he's someone where I'm going to use different words. Uh, I'm a little bit more hesitant when we start using the God word. But that shift into mysticism, where it's experience over um, over kind of what you call it, like the experience of what people have called God, rather than kind of the debate of what word would, she, would we use and what scripture is right and blah, blah, blah. Just that mystic shift, um, hugely, hugely impactful in my life. And he's still someone that I see from time to time um, to just talk with and check in with because he's just... He just has made that shift into mysticism where it doesn't matter what you call it. What matters is that you're experiencing it. And I still hold those lessons today.
1: What is your Sufi name? Rabia. And what does Rabia stand for? She,
2: uh, so she was a real person. She's kind of a desert mother and she, uh, she kind of lived in the desert and kind of had, did her own spiritual thing. And she, she, didn't care about like, you know, what she wore or the expectations of women in society. And men kept coming her to her saying like, marry me, I have this palace, blah, blah, blah. And she would just be like, no, thank you. And so she was just kind of this feminist powerhouse who really followed her own spiritual path and really resisted kind of the demands of patriarchy on her. And this is like really early on, like a thousand years ago. And so that would that was the name that he chose for me. So in this sense, you're, you're, and this is really common in wisdom traditions, that you get a new name, which is common in a it's, lot of religions. A lot of traditions. A lot of religions.
1: <laughs> True and false, yeah.
2: But instead of like showing up at a temple, which is where we come from, where you're just given the name of the day by some computer, you know, says this is the name of the day. This is actually a teacher who spent some time thinking about you and thought of a name or a hero or a story that knowing you is gonna help you on your journey and they give you that name. And so it's actually really healing to get a new name in a way that was healthy As as opposed to the way that I got a new name before, and that was actually really healing for me. It it healed a lot of patriarchy in me to to um, have a teacher-student relationship that was healthy instead of kind of oppressive and patriarchal.
1: You said the new name you got was Rabia, which is really cool. My new name in the other tradition was Heber, which Mm. is you know Mm. not as cool, but
2: yeah, not as cool. And everybody else who went to the temple that day has that name too. <laughs>
1: Every, everyone. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then we did, let's see. Oh, the four agreements I really loved. Um, that was a really, cause I had never read it and you had read that before. So that was one where you really came with the content and I learned a lot from that. And I've actually had some people on um social media reach out to me saying like, I come from a Hispanic background and I'm trying to find resources that you're talking about, but there's not as many kind of in my kind of community. Can you recommend some really good spiritual resources for, uh, that it's a little bit less American and maybe more Hispanic. And I always turn them to, even though the four agreements isn't Spanish, I guess it's what like Aztec or Inca, you know, whatever was there before um yeah the the four agreements really stands out as something i learned a lot from and something that i recommend to other people still
1: yeah um we had the conversation with noah Reschetta on secular buddhism um i think he wrote a book as well called buddhism for beginners mm-hmm. uh, sort of the same title that uh, uh, jack hornfield had and noah's made quite a space for himself in the secular buddhism he's a yeah. I know, Ex-Mormon, post-Mormon. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't even history. say
2: like, I wouldn't even say like, Oh, he's an ex-Mormon podcaster. Like he's much, mm-hmm. he's, he's the Buddhist podcaster. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's got, he's got a pretty big audience. He's
1: yeah, doing yeah, he really cool things. Yeah. And then I think you did Jonah and the whale on a day. I wasn't uh, here. Yeah. So you did that one on your own.
2: Mm-hmm. That was um, me going through like, because you didn't, you didn't experience nihilism the same way I did. Um, I think you just have more fun with life in general. And so that was an easier transition for me. Whereas for me, like, Maybe I'm just like a little bit more neurotic. Maybe it's my, I think it's also like my Enneagram four and like the melancholy and the depth and blah, blah, blah. And it just kind of kicked my ass a little bit more than it kicked yours. And so I did i did some, that's when I went through the four existential fears and kind of facing your existential fears. And I used the story of Jonah and the whale to kind of outline that journey. So that was, there was a lot of people who really resonated with that episode, even though it was just a kind of a personal dive into my darker spaces. And then we did John Ogden, who I still kind of recommend for um, Uplift Kids and how to do spiritual education for non-religious families. And then any? do you still get into Enneagram stuff, or do you feel like that was a good tool, and now you don't really use it as a tool anymore of self-discovery?
1: Um, when I'm in groups of people who are... Thinking and reading and stuff in this space, I may, in passing, mention like, "Hey, have you heard of the Enneagram?" And if they say yes, then I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll connect with them by saying, "Hey, I'm sort of an eight and, and, and a justice warrior. Do you remember what number you are?" And try to at least, like, how are we the same and how are we different? Which is something we humans are always doing with people we meet up with or get together with: is let me let me talk to you and see how we're the same and see how we're different and. Uh, The Enneagram, I think, is an easy way to sort of connect with somebody if they know know what it is. But I don't – most people don't. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like when someone goes, I'm an IYFJ, and I'm like, I don't know what the hell that means. Yeah. Uh So kind of like that.
2: Do you get people that think that it's like
1: woo? Most people who don't know what it is think it's woo.
2: Yeah, or at least like, oh, it's just like a personality test of like what Hogwarts house are you going to be yeah, sorted but, in or whatever. it's not like
1: that, damn it's it. It's
2: not. It's not. It, And, you know, I'm pretty anti-woo when it comes to most things, but this is a pretty good, like if you're just first trying to figure out how you tick and what your shadow is and you don't really have a good sense of that. I can't think of a better tool than figuring out your Enneagram type and reading through that. And to this day, the best conversation as far as me and my husband's marriage went was when I printed out, this is like a date where we're going to dinner and I printed out what it's like for a four to be married to a three. And it kind of like listed like, here's some things that might cause you some issues. And it was like someone deeply knew our marriage. It was like our marriage was just, How did they know that this was our marriage? And it actually led to one of our best kind of connection discussions in my marriage where we could really figure out, oh, this is how you're different. And this is why it's showing up in our marriage. And I didn't realize that this is how you tick or this is, you know, anyway, so I I still think it's a good tool. I still stand by it, even though it seems kind of woo, or it seems like just a personality test. I think it's a great tool for self-discovery.
1: Yeah. And then I think this was another one maybe I did uh, on my own, but uh, conscious uh, psychedelics as conscious altering tools. And I'm just a big fan of drugs. Uh, yeah. Midnight Mormons will probably cut that little clip out and use it as a one liner. But um, <laughs> that's what they do. So I'm a big fan that there are lots of things that get us to awakenness, get us to step outside of our own perspective and see ourselves differently so that we can begin to uh, address things that we never could have if we didn't. Uh, yeah. alter our consciousness. And you can get there through meditation, mm-hmm. but most people aren't going to meditate because it takes a while to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, not just a, a long time in a session, but but lots and lots of sessions of meditation mm-hmm. before you really start to experience the results. Whereas I could take um, five grams of magic mushrooms and in 45 minutes, whether I like it or not, I'm going to have an altered consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems to be kind of a uh, shortcut. To do you, do you think that, that
2: it's also the shortcut to like you know there's a million ways that we need to fix the world right we need you know capitalism a problem is a problem and climate change is a problem and our isolation is a problem there's a lot of problems do you do you feel like because it's such a shortcut that the fastest way to change a, the world is if everybody did mushrooms like if if every did if everybody did mushrooms A week later, would the world be more drastically different than if we did anything else? Um,
1: It would definitely be different. But but, uh, I'm going to change the question, which is. Okay. I would say if you said what drug
2: give
1: the entire world. Okay. All right. Do that one. I would give them MDMA or Molly. Oh,
2: over over psilocybin or ayahuasca.
1: No ifs, ands, or buts. Really. Yeah. One experience with, uh, MDMA and people would understand what it would be like to be their best version of themselves.
2: Mm. See, I still lean a little bit more towards psilocybin. Yeah. Your sound got a little quiet, Bill. Um, but I still lean a little bit more towards psilocybin just because you can release so much pain and grief and trauma and you can still get that connection that I just feel like people can move forward. I don't know. Because there's just like a lot of releasing that you can do with psilocybin of just like generational trauma and pain and addiction that uh, mushrooms can really help with.
1: Mm. All of those drugs can do great things, uh, but MDMA to me is just night and day a bigger game changer Mm. than all the rest of them. Mm, Interesting.
2: All right. What else stands out here? Separating spirituality from woo. this is one of my favorite episodes that we did because we went through just a list of like tarot cards, horoscope, water witching, just anything that we could think of in that world. And we tried to say, okay, what is the tool in here that's worth saving and what is the bullshit? And I still think that, I, I think that in a hundred years, we're gonna be wrong at least about one of these things because like it used to be it used to be that science said that um or it used to be that we didn't know that we hold trauma in our bodies and that the body keeps score and now and now um it's it's fairly certain that we have science that says that the body can really hold on to memories and hold on to trauma and for body workers that was common knowledge but for um science like that's new and so i do think that maybe we'll be wrong about one or two of those which like i'm fine with like i want like tell me where i was wrong and tell me where the science goes but we did our best to say from what we know the best we know about science what is the tool and what is the bullshit and i thought that was a really fun episode i really enjoyed doing that one yeah
1: um i was again in the conversation i had today at the coffee shop uh the person was talking to me and I was talking about essentially this episode and saying like tarot cards, I I think tarot cards, there's no magic there, but there is the ability to have a subject or a question posed to you that you were not ever going to consider that day. And now that card is sitting in front of you and it's prompting you to go inside inward and define and address and think about and wrestle with and answer questions about things you were never uh, going to do.
2: Yeah. And I think it's a great way to like have that conversation with your subconscious. So like, so like if I were to say, name a celebrity, your subconscious is going to put, pick an answer and put it in your conscious brain and give you something. And it's, but we can do the same thing with like inner work, like, Hey, what's something in you that needs that you need to let go of so that you can move forward your subconscious is going to work on that problem and throw something at you. And you can actually learn from that without it being um, magic at all. And then that's when Flo, my daughter fell from the window and I took some time away. Um, And I remember that episode because I remember saying, this is really hard. I don't know if she's going to live or die. I don't know if um, she's going to be brain dead, but I went back to the work that we did with um, the the Buddhist work that we did where I had done so much work in, in kind of that Buddhist concept of you're always going to have the first arrow of suffering. But you can actually um, mitigate kind of that second arrow of suffering, which is like, why did this happen to me? And the universe hates me. And maybe God, blah, blah, blah. All that secondary suffering you can actually um, – mitigate. And so I did a lot of because I had done so much work in accepting suffering, even accepting death, even though it was really hard, I felt like I was I was awake and I wasn't um, suffering as much as I would have 10 years ago when I would have been like, why did this happen to me? And this isn't fair. And maybe God's punching me and all of those kinds of, of swirling thoughts. I didn't have that. I was just present in the moment, even though the moment sucked. And that was a big shift for me where I could see the benefits of some of the spiritual work that I was doing in the past. And to conclude that story, flow is doing great. And so it, anyway.
1: I remember, you know, when that happened, of course, you, know, you yeah. know, the story, but your daughter falling out of a second story window, um, suffering uh, a head injury you and your husband having to get her into a car and drive her to the hospital. And that injury was apparent and you guys sort of had to do some emergency care kind of on the way to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And this fear that in that moment, everything has changed forever Mm -hmm. and um, kind of sort of miraculous, right? Like, I'm not in a world where I believe in supernatural miracles anymore, but still a miracle nonetheless, that somebody suffers an injury, but because, especially because of being a child, the brain sort of recuperates and adjusts to things like that much easier and better than it would if it was an adult.
2: And thanks to science, because there are so many scientific discoveries and um inventions that saved her life because without without the intervention of science she for sure would have died her brain would have swelled and she would have died and so um that wasn't a it's a miracle thank god it was like it's a miracle thank
1: science yeah yeah um I, i remember that moment and it seemed like things were really scary on the front end but things got better fast enough Uh, that you weren't gone long and you returned back to the show. I don't know what it was, maybe a month or two later.
2: Yeah. And um, it was when, so she was in the hospital for six weeks. So I think two months later I came back and this was the first, so I like cleared my schedule, cleared everything that I was doing. And returning to the podcast was the first thing that I did when I'm like, okay, I'm ready to add something to my plate. Like things are okay. And the first thing that I added to my plate was if I don't have a conversation with another adult about things that I like to think about, I am going to die and I need to get on this podcast and join Bill again. And it was the first thing that I added back to my life.
1: Yeah. And I'm, and I'm grateful, but not only am I grateful, the audience was grateful because they were having to put up with me running solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, there for a little while so
2: oh what else did we do let's say like yeah i wasn't here for some of these episodes so you'll have to the dangerous ideas did
1: you like that one
2: oh you you really liked that one the festival of i dangerous love ideas.
1: dangerous ideas um
2: that's like your ultimate playground is to sit around with people and talk about the things that we talked about um this festival this festival of dangerous ideas and are there some ideas that are too dangerous for humans to talk about publicly because we're just too biased and we're just too emotional and we're just they're just too dangerous
1: yeah even if they're true even if these yeah. concepts are true should we give them to the general population if the, and because they might lead to disaster
2: mm-hmm. some yeah. of these questions are still good to think about i mean uh, we were talking about nihilism. We were talking about it. Should we tell people that free will is an illusion because there may be a chance that morality goes down. Cause there's some evidence for that. Um, we talked about, ge- uh, transgender things and social Darwinism and teaching religion in schools. And, oh, that was the one that you brought up. Should we give uh, child sex dolls to pedophiles? If we can show that scientifically it keeps them from, um, you know, harassing children, abusing children. And that gave me all kinds of, I remember just sitting there for a minute, just feeling uncomfortable in the question. And those were really, really fun. Mm. Still, I I did a TikTok on it the other day, which again, it's like these podcasts were already out. So I don't know why, anyway, it's such a big deal on TikTok, but I I did that. I did um, a list of some of the, the questions that we talked about. Then and pointed people to the podcast if they wanted to hear us discuss it. But my, really my two
1: my two favorite episodes that we did is dangerous ideas in the hero's journey. Those mm-hmm. are the two favorites of mine.
2: I think number three for you was Jordan the Grey Witch, though. I think oh he liked yeah. Her. Yeah, yeah. I think he liked her. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get. So, to you know,
1: somebody somebody messaged during that that Bill just thinks you know she's hot and he wants to have sex with her or whatever. But really, I mean, uh, I liked how smart she was. I liked how articulate she was i liked she was how
2: so quick and bright and she's yeah. also really hot and gorgeous
1: so yeah, how yeah. much she stood up for like what she thought and believed and it's like no questions asked i'm not going to am yeah. not gonna uh give in to anybody else's ideas these ideas are mine and i'm gonna stand by them
2: yeah she was really quick i also really liked the episode we did on and you're right bio. she
1: was she was cute and hot she's
2: but, she's really hot <laughs> awesome. um There, the episode that we did on human biases, I actually really learned to actually list, I think there was like 140 human biases that we've cataloged um, and we're still adding more. And then I think we did like 20 biases that all humans have, that we're born with, that you don't know our biases. Like you don't know these are lenses that we're looking at the world through until you actually are educated and learn, hey, you actually have this blue colored lens or whatever that you're seeing the world through. And to actually go through all those biases and, and name them and talk about how they affected our lives and, or when we realized we had that bias, that was really impactful for me. And I still go back to um, to that episode sometimes in those concepts. And because when people really want to understand themselves or, or why is my family acting like this? Or why are we doing this? I just feel like I understand the world so much more after doing that episode and really understanding how human brains see the world. And once I got that piece, a lot more things in the world and with people made sense again. Like, oh, I see how you're seeing things. I see how you can see them.
1: Yeah. It
2: it was a big piece of the puzzle for me.
1: We all have them and we don't know that we have them until someone points them out.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that like, so some people say, oh, everyone's born an atheist. And it's like, maybe that is true. Like we're all born kind of. Without a, a belief in a specific thing, but we're also born naturally superstitious, and we're born with a lot of biases. So we're not a blank slate. I think that's kind of a lie of atheism that if you just if we just took away uh, indo- childhood indoctrination, we'd just be totally free, and everybody would know how to live their life. And it's like no, our biases actually are inborn, and we have to un we have to like educate ourselves out of it. And so you still have to do education you can't just remove indoctrination and everything's going to be okay. You actually have to educate yourself out of some of these biases.
1: And around those episodes were the faith after doubt where we brought, you can see Anthony there peeking over the, the edge mm-hmm. and the very top of Jana's head. But I don't know why the website does that when you open up an episode and only shows like the width of the picture, not quite the height, mm-hmm. but um, this was like a chance to, recapture sort of that spirit of the big Buddhism for beginners conversations that we had, because, um, what's the Brian, Brian,
2: Brian McLaren.
1: Yeah. Brian McLaren, I think wrote a a beautiful book and there was so much language in there that I resonated with as an ex Mormon. Um, I think this was another great chance to hear the four of us just really riff on faith and doubt and deconstruction, how hard it was, what had to be done to get there and, Uh, I really enjoyed these episodes. Do
2: you think there was a time in your deconstruction where reading this book or even just the title of this book, like here, Bill, read this book, Faith After Doubt, where you would have been like, absolutely the fuck not like this. This is just some kind of nuanced apologist. I don't want to read it. Do you think it would have been triggering for you? Or do you think that this material would have hit you hit you? okay anywhere in your deconstruction?
1: I think I was. Always ready for stages of faith, Fowler, you know. Mm-hmm. And the moment I started questioning, I found that. And I found some other books too uh, The Critical Journey by Robert Gulich and Janet Hagberg, um, Faith After Faith Shift by Kathy Escobar. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that one. Faith After Doubt by Margaret Placentra Johnson. Um, it, it, and I think to say those, because I don't think this stuff ever would have bothered me. Even when I was a Orthodox believer, I think these things would have sent me on the shift sooner and I would have been accepting of them because I sort of gravitated towards stages of faith pretty quick. Yeah.
2: And you are always trying to look for, when I look back at your journey, you were always trying to look for, models and language to help you make sense of things Mm. so this model was simplicity complexity perplexity harmony Mm. and you just keep growing like rings on a tree and making Mm. space for that and it was really even though the title sounds a little bit like come back to religion or come back to jesus it was actually really um it was just another model of of human growth and development which um, I, I do think is an easily accessible place wherever you are, even though um, I think the title has turned some people off because they're afraid they're, there's going to be some Jesus smuggling. And I, I thought that there was very little of that. So,
1: And let me just say really quick, that yeah. I misspoke, Faith After Doubt is Brian McLaren. Faith Beyond Belief is Margaret mm. Placentra Johnson, yeah, just in case I anybody, anybody wants to order one. those books. if I, I Anybody deconstructing their belief system The number one book I would recommend to everyone is The Critical Journey by Robert Gulich and Janet Hagberg. And Mm -hmm. a close second is Faith Shift by Kathy Escobar and Faith Beyond Belief by Margaret Placentra Johnson.
2: Yeah, Faith Shift is is my go-to. That was really helpful for me at the time. The first one you mentioned I haven't read, and now I'm Mm. kind of sad we never did that book. Um, and then we did spiritual atheism with Nick Jankel, and that was really big for me because that book, spiritual atheism, was really impactful for me in my journey. So be so to be able to talk to the author um, when when that book was really helpful for me because I was in this I was in this space where. Uh, spirituality was still super interesting to me. And I still thought that there were some things there that were worth saving, but I had totally lost my belief in God and I didn't know how to reconcile that. I didn't know what the term was for that. And so for him to have this book of spiritual atheism and science driven um, spirituality and that you don't have to believe in God in order to access these tools, it just gave me like a little playground to play that um, I didn't feel like, it, it just gave me a little bit of a box, like, oh, there are other people who feel this too. Or, oh, there are other people who are trying to make sense of this space where there's, hey, there's something to spirituality, but I just can't get myself to believe in God. And I just, I didn't know what to call that. I didn't know if there were other people there. And so the book was really impactful for me. And so I was super honored when he agreed to come on the show and I thought he was a really lovely guy.
1: Yeah. And I remember that conversation and a couple of others where we had no problem disagreeing at times um, or posing questions that maybe make everybody in the room uncomfortable, because I think that's one of the gifts of this show and and the sort of mission that we had was like, let's lay different perspectives on the table. Let's not be afraid to challenge things and let's respect all of, you know, each other. And let's not Let's not put down each other, but let's make room that, hey, we're all offering perspective and the more um, the more capacity to allow people to see uh, the depth of an issue from different angles, the better decisions people are going to make
2: what i remember about him is he's one who says hey we need to start talking about love more like talking about it openly so that it's not because he he said that his experience in london with these kind of super rational secular academic people who they just have no tolerance for something like religion and then to talk about love or spirituality and they just kind of like he said their eyes just kind of glaze over because it's just like whatever And for him to just, like, say just super publicly and open as a man, just like, we need to be leading with love. We need to be saying that we love each other. We need to be leading our companies from a place of love. And he would just say, like, I love you. And it it, it, almost in a way that's like, oh, that feels really uncomfortable. (laughs) And he was just really leading with love and trying to give some secular language to love so that it because sometimes the secular atheist world can get so academic and so rational that we just kind of shy away from just being like, Hey, I love you. You're really amazing. (laughs) And he was really trying to bring that back. And I remember that.
1: Yeah. And the only thing I would add is when you get to this place where you realize that again, Eckhart Tolle, we are the universe expressing ourselves as a human for a little while, you realize that everybody is you. And so when you treat others with love, you're really loving yourself too. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm All right. So we did a Christmas special things that we loved about Jesus, which I love that we have a space where we can still do that, where we can appreciate the things from Jesus that we're taking with us on our journey. And I still have a Christmas episode. I kind of had it planned in my notes. Maybe we'll, maybe I'll come back for Christmas and we can do this, but I love this idea of Thomas Jefferson's Bible. So when he was sworn into office and you, you do it over the Bible, Jefferson is highly doubting Christianity as, as actual truth here. And so what he does is he cuts out pages and passages of Jesus that he likes and puts it together in a little book. And that's what he puts his hand on to be sworn in. And so I thought it'd be really fun to do an episode kind of talking about that and what was Thomas Jefferson's, um, bible and then i was going to ask you this was going to be kind of my christmas episode and i I, if if you want to do this i i would still love to do this to ask you like bill real go through the scriptures and what's bill real's bible look like like what are Mm. the passages and stories that you would cut out and and you're still taking with you even now on this side of things and what that bible would look like i think that would be a really fun episode even still
1: The the only downside is it would force me to read the scriptures again.
2: Yeah, you'd have to open up that that dusty book again. You might have to, do you even have one in your house anymore? Yeah, right
1: up there in that corner. Yeah. There's the quad uh, right there.
2: It's collecting a little Uh, bit of dust up there. We might have to.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's all marked up. I mean, I wouldn't have to probably search too hard. They're all. Yeah, they're all highlighted
2: to see, like, even just like five things from the Bible that like, Mm. yeah, that would be in Bill's Bible. I would love to know what what that was. Um, We did conscious stories with Andrew Newman because you and I Mm -hmm. both already had books that you had it with your grandkid. I had it with my kids of ways to take these concepts into books with children. And I just remember you talking a lot about um, just the joy of being watching your children teach your grandchildren things that you didn't learn until you were 40 and just kind of watching them be able to kind of do that with, with your grandchild and just how special of a journey that was for you.
1: And it was sort of cool uh, a month or two ago, I'm reading one of those books to my grandchild, uh, my grandson, three years old. And I told him as we're reading, I'm like, cause he's seen it's the coolest thing, by the way, he sees his grandpa on TV,
2: mm-hmm. which is
1: just cool. So, you know, some, somehow I go to my, um, my YouTube account and all of the Mormon stuff is at the top. And I I saw that one of our videos that we had done was up there and I clicked it and my grand, my grandkid sees that grandpa's on the TV, which is, uh, it's kind of, you're almost like famous to your grandkid. He doesn't quite Mm -hmm. understand that you just do this little podcast. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm reading Andrew Newman's book to my grandson and I tell him, I say, grandpa's interviewed this guy. And he's like, you did? And I'm like, yeah, watch. And so then there's Andrew Newman and, and Grandpa talking and having a conversation with Britt Hartley. And yeah. And uh, uh, anyway, I just think it's the guy's doing great work. And the thing that tickled me about that episode was he read one of our books as part of the episode. And so folks got to mm. hear and see an Andrew Newman book uh, up close. Personally. Yeah,
2: and we do, I, both of us get this question all the time as far as what do I do for my kids? And we try from time to time to share the resources that – we were using with our kids or grandkids. And that was one of them. And then we had that, it was kind of a weird episode, that episode on free will where you and I were kind of on the same page. The guest was not on the same page as us and and it was an enjoyable conversation, but I don't know how much ground we really got accomplished on that episode. What what is your thoughts looking back now on that free will episode?
1: I think it was good to have the conversation. Um, I'm not smart enough on free will to rebut in a solid way what the other person was saying. And as he was talking, I just couldn't buy into the way he was saying it. That makes sense. But his, his perspective is definitely intelligent and informed. Uh, um, I I think in any time you get into this conversation about free will, you're sort of off, In the darkness and neither side can really absolutely show that their side is right
2: i think what got hard is like you almost have to define terms before you get into the conversation because i remember being kind of turned off when he said oh uh sam harris thinks that we're not a self but i just like i just booked a hotel room and i just got on this podcast how do i not have a self and it's like okay you're not even understanding the basis of like what it means to be a self and like how you can break down the kind of illusion of the self. And so there was just a couple times like that where our understanding of self and maybe his understanding or definition is different. And that happens every time with the concept of free will. Like you have to define what is freedom and what is choice and what, what are you defining as free will that we have or don't have? And what is self and what is ego? And, and you're right. It just gets into the weeds. And I wasn't like his analogies and his way of explaining things just really didn't land for me well, but it was an interesting conversation to have as far as laying out, like, what do these conversations look like and kind of why they're so difficult to think about. All right. Then we did, we did, I think we did an episode of, of, um, magic mushrooms with me. Oh, and I think one of my friends who, um, lives in Oregon. And we talked about that a little bit. And then we did um, an isms episode where we uh, where where we went through kind of all the different isms, just like panpsychism and Taoism. And we just went through a bunch of isms. And that episode, I we got some feedback saying that was super helpful because one of the things people ask themselves when they're deconstructing is like, what do I believe now? I don't even know what the options are. And so that was a good episode to lay out like Here are all the different isms of of kind of lenses of how they see the world and which one kind of resonates with you. And people found that extraordinarily helpful. Like, oh, I didn't know that I was kind of more of a Taoist, or I didn't know that I was an agnostic and not an atheist, or I didn't. And just by giving just a a real generous kind of outline to each ism, um, people found that episode really helpful.
1: Yeah, there's so many different forms of belief, certain places that you can grab and take the ground of, take the perspective of. And it's all, I always come back to this whole thing. It's all myth. It's all made up. None of it's real. And yet there is sort of a freedom to be whatever kind of person and believe whatever it is you want to believe. And um, I think the episode for me was helpful to recognize, like anytime you come into a conversation with another human being, they are also coming from their own isms that that yeah. are part of that dialogue
2: i remember you saying in that episode that once we went through the whole list you said that i can see a little piece of the truth in each one like i yeah. can see i can see with when you have that lens there's a little piece of reality that they're that they're seeing that I I think does make sense, but it's not the whole pie. Like it's Mm-mm. not everything, and um, that's kind of where you get later on in human development, where you can like put on glasses, look around, take them off, put on another ism glasses, look around, take them off, and kind of appreciate each mm. one without getting kind of culty into like this is the ism that will rule the world kind of stuff. And
1: and, and maybe when you get to the end, just take about eighty five percent of those glasses and just. Throw them in the trash.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, that was interesting. Next. <laughs> All right. Then we did um, the kind of just talking about stuts And and Janice Spangler was, was, came back on that one and gave her, us some of her thoughts on that. And then we had the Beyond God and Religion. And that's where we had started to have the debate. And I was actually going to have him come on another time. And maybe, maybe you, you still would at some point because he... It uh, self identifies as an anti-theist, and so it's interesting. You and I have had conversations on whether we're an anti-theist um, and whether or not that's always the right play to make to be an anti-theist. And so I wanted to actually, we actually went on TikTok Live one time and had that debate um, over TikTok. And it, it's interesting to to get into. Uh, okay, you're an atheist, but should we be anti-theists and what that conversation looks like?
1: Yeah, and you start to get into these complicated conversations where is there value in God? Is there value in uh, putting God completely away with intention, right? Is, Is there value in saying, I don't believe there's a God? Is there value in... I don't think there's a God, but maybe there is more of um, that agnostic point of view. And each of these views are limiting. Each of these views uh, have blind spots, um, but some of them can either leave less room for the actual mystery that's there. And some of them create false mystery that actually deceives us. And right, and all, I think for of both missing. of
2: us, I think we're for both of us um, there, I tell me if I'm wrong, but I think where we let where both of us land is that for anti-theism, I think the strength is it says, hey, if 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 reality really is this kind of narcissistic tyrant sending people to hell, then I'm I want to go to hell and I want to fight this because this is evil and this is a dictator. And I think that's actually a really moral option as opposed to Christians who just say, like, bye, enjoy burning in hell. Like, that's not very christ-like right so i i I do enjoy that and i do think you would be that guy like
1: the eight, yeah the eight (laughs) on the wants to go there and god yeah, yeah
2: and and f you and all of that but i think the problem is it does it doesn't leave a lot of room for nuance as far as like what are people calling god are they just using that word for a subjective experience because you and i have both had subjective experiences. where, like, I understand why people call this God. It, it feels pretty expansive and pretty loving and pretty amazing. Um, and there's not a lot of room for that in anti-theism. Or sometimes if you go at someone with anti-theism, they're just going to come back with fundamentalism instead of trying to make some common ground and some nuance, which, which is actually healthier for religion. So maybe anti-theism isn't the way to go. So I, I think you and I kind of Uh, understand that, understand the anti-theism, but that there's times where that may not be kind of the tool that you want to lead with. Mm. That's what I would say.
1: Mm. Yeah. um, I don't know that I have much to add here other than if there is a God, I think he owes he or she or it owes us a really uh, long conversation that allows a lot of questions. Yeah, Uh, because there's a lot of things about this that doesn't seem at all fair in the least and and in in some ways seems so deeply unfair uh, that it doesn't make much sense. Yeah,
2: I agree. So then we did some Gen Z stuff, which I thought was a really good episode. We actually went through all the Pew data on like what is Gen Z doing and what does their spirituality look like and people leaving religion and why they're leaving religion and why they aren't joining religion. And so that's one where we really dug into the data. That wasn't us just spitballing. Like we really dug into the data on where is religion and spirituality going in America, especially with this kind of younger generation. So I thought that was if, if anyone who's listening has teens, like that was one of our, our better, kind of data-driven episodes that we did.
1: Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that one as well.
2: All right. We did 10 Reasons to Leave, 10 Reasons to Stay. We did Lisa Miller, another really big uh, mm-hmm. guest for us, who um, knows the science of spirituality more than anyone that I know. So The the Awakened Brain and The Spiritual Child are her books and really, really knows spirituality Um the science of spirituality and the studies that she's doing at Columbia university. I mean, she's a real professional. Like this isn't just like a life coach talking about spirituality. Like she's the real deal. Mm -hmm. But I remember you and I both having times where she was a little bit more loose with the term God than maybe you or I were. I don't know if you remember that. I do.
1: I remember her being a little more pro religious language that I wasn't expecting.
2: Yeah. And she she also kind of really thinks that there shouldn't have been so much of a separation of church and state because then religion becomes something private. And then there's a cost to that. And while I understand her point, the best thing about America is that it tried to separate church and state. Like that's what made it great. Like that's how we're not a theocracy, even though Christianity is trying to make it into a theocracy again. And so I, that part also, I had some cog so there were a couple times where I had a little bit of cognitive dissonance, but mm. it was challenging because she's, she's the real deal and she had a lot of science to back up what she was talking about. Mm. So it was, it was cognitive dissonance in a way that was challenging for me mm. in a good Yeah. Way. I
1: think that's a good thing. Yeah.
2: And then we had the atheist witch um, Jordan, the gray witch. And that was just a really, she was so just sharp. And so that was just such a fun conversation. And Yeah. And she's gorgeous, honestly. And then we did um, Maslow's unpublished work on self-transcendence, which is another thing that I learned about later on in the podcast, because we had talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I had no idea that he had talked about self-transcendence as something above self-actualization. So that was another one where we were kind of learning in real time. Um, things that we didn't know. And then we had that lady who was sexually abused in the Zen Buddhist community. And we really had to, I think there's sometimes when we're raised in um, kind of Abrahamic religion, patriarchy, that we can sometimes put Buddhism on a pedestal where we can put these Eastern religions on a pedestal. And then when she's telling her story, it's like, oh no, no, like these sexual issues and these power dynamic issues are rampant even in the Buddhist community. Like it's everywhere, you can't, Fully escape it unless you're really doing the deep work and having conversations and setting boundaries and blah blah blah. And so, her story about the abuse in the Buddhist community was really eye opening.
1: If there is a space, a safe space for abusers to abuse, no matter what religion or group or system, there will be people there to abuse.
2: Mm, Yeah. And then we did our list of like top 10 changes that would lead to a better world. And I remember that being challenging for us because it, we we came very quickly. We realized like how complex the world is and how hard and how amazing it is that there's even like a functioning society at all, even though like there's a ton of problems, the fact that there's something is, is almost incredible. And so we went through some of our ideas on what we would do if we were president of the universe and could fix things and, I really enjoyed your list and I thought there was some overlap, but there was also some differences. And so that was really interesting.
1: Yeah, as you're pointing out, when you think you think on the front end you can solve these problems <laughs> sort of easily and you can't.
2: Yeah. They're really they're hard. complicated. We did transhumanism, nihilism, seven different kinds of atheism, which I thought though was really fun because you were for sure an atheist mystic in that list. Mm-hmm. And then we did seven new religions. Um, the nature of reality, internal family systems, which again was, was Jana. And then we're going into kind of this past summer where you did some episodes with Jana. So over the summer with Jana, what's the episode that kind of stands out to
1: you? So one that got a lot of uh, feedback from folks was the, how to stop people pleasing. And I had numerous friends of mine and I don't even, it's sort of weird. Like I don't anticipate my friends listening to my podcast. And they're just my friends. I hang out with them and we do other things. And when this episode got done, I had two or three of my friends message me and say how much they really loved this episode and how meaningful it was. And they were sharing it with lots of people. So the people pleasing one I thought was a fantastic one. Um, the internal family systems. I did one with Corey Reese who I've had on the show before. And then Jana uh, had a, an IFS therapist come on with the four of us. And we had a great conversation. Um an introduction to integral theory. So Jenna talked about spiral dynamics and Ken Wilber. I thought she did a beautiful job of doing that one. Um, I'm trying to think offhand. Some of these I sort of kind of forget, but controversial conversations I picked. It's kind of like the dangerous ideas. I picked things mm-hmm. that were controversial Privacy you, that, versus that's security. Your, that's
2: your favorite playground.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's nuanced. Like sometimes privacy is important and sometimes security is important. And where do we draw the line? And all of us are mm-hmm. going to draw the line differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was a great conversation as well. Um, but again, Jana filled in sort of for the summer. And I thought there was just a, she, she, like you, was preparing most of the episodes for our show. And uh, I thought she did a fantastic job.
2: Yeah. She's such a wealth of knowledge. And then I I came back from the summer and we did Barbie and the heroine's journey. And I loved that episode. I loved like learning that there is a heroine's journey and going through that and seeing my own story and kind of um, reconciling with the feminine and kind of more divine feminine stuff. And then the end of the hero's journey is you take your gifts back to the community, but the end of the heroine's journey is that you're balanced in your masculine and feminine, and you can choose kind of what kind of parts of you you want to lead with or what tools inside you want to lead with. And it's it's just almost this kind of yin-yang balance that you're in the flow of things. And it was just really, really beautiful stuff, and I really enjoyed that episode. Mm, I enjoyed it. <sighs> I love it. And then this we stuff. did – Yeah. The Naked Pastor was uh, kind of our more recent big episode where we got to meet one of our personal heroes for both of us. And we got to do some of his cartoons and hear more of his story. And he um, you could tell by his cartoons that he was a very smart guy and um, that he deeply thought about things. But then talking to him and I didn't even know that he had written 10 books uh, he was just such a, a depth of, of beauty and wisdom and knowledge than even I kind of anticipated. So he was, he was a great surprise.
1: Yeah, he came across to me as really grounded that we could have been believers, we could have been ardent atheists, we could have been confrontational, and he would have just showed up the same.
2: Mm-hmm. And then we're here. And so I guess I'll talk about kind of what I'm doing. And then you can kind of talk about the future of the podcast. And so for me, um, I'm going to go something that I've recognized in my own journey is that I've never kind of stood on my own. I was always either podcasting with someone else or doing projects kind of in my graduate studies under teachers. And I've always kind of had Um, like a nest essentially where I'm kind of learning and I'm growing and I'm doing projects. And um, the opportunity of this podcast for me is that the past two years, I've really found my own voice and that it is kind of unique in its own way. And that when I speak my story and my truth and my struggles with deconstruction and my struggles with nihilism, um, and wanting to kind of save these tools of spirituality. When I really talk from my soul, people resonate with, with me and my story and realizing that I've never kind of left the nest and done my own thing. And so I just had this opportunity to move into content creation, which is just more friendly, uh, family wise, because you can just do these little kind of content clips, um, rather than kind of the work that we did to put together some of these more data-driven podcasts that take more time. And it, it uh, has the ability to kind of help my family budget even more also and reach more people. And so I, I made the decision to go into kind of full-time content creation, but I never would have gotten here. And this is this is the piece that I wanted to say publicly, and I might get emotional, but Bill, I just I just want to say that not only were you, vulnerable in your deconstruction journey over the past 10 years. But what I appreciate so much is that, is that once you started to unpack patriarchy, which not all men who are deconstructing religion do, sometimes they just leave because of the historicity and never unpack patriarchy, but you began to recognize that I'm, I'm a man, there's a lot of male podcasters that have platforms, and I know that there's women who have voices that deserve to be heard. What can I do to try to use my platform to help give them voice? And I was one of those women. And so I found my voice and built this spiritual direction practice, because, specifically because you had unpacked patriarchy enough to say, There needs to be more female voices and I can do something about it. And so I'm super proud of the work that we did together. I grew so much in these conversations. I found my own voice and I wouldn't have kind of the practice that I had if I hadn't, if you hadn't have given me this opportunity. And so I just want to just say publicly just how appreciative I am of not only the journey of the person that you became, because I watched you go from an apologist to this ancient mystic teacher in your own right. But you also kind of extended that work out into the world in a way that benefited me. And then when I reached out to you and said, Hey, I think I'm, I'm going to move into podcast creation. You didn't say like, Hey, but what about our goals for this podcast? Or what about all the things that I've done for you? You just said, how can I help support you? And mm-hmm. um, when I say not all men, I, I mean Bill Real and I'm just so grateful. I'm just so grateful for um, this opportunity that you gave me and that you're supporting me in moving on to new projects.
1: You, you have been my friend since the beginning.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, When I started this 10 years ago, folks, Britt Hartley, when I started Mormon discussion podcast as a a standalone podcast back in 2012, it was like episode number four. You reached out and said, (laughs) Hey, I'm, I'm listening, and I'm like, oh, there's a listener. I have one. (laughs) Look at that. And over the years, I mean, you've come, I've invited you out to workshops in southern Utah with Thomas McConkie that you came to. Uh, We've run into each other at a few places. We've uh, had lots of great conversations, and you were the perfect person at the right moment to invite to be part of this podcast, and um, the Almost Awakened podcast sort of uh, shifted into a new direction that was much needed. And I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of our friendship, but I'm deeply appreciative of who you are. And uh, I've just really enjoyed being your friend for a decade. Yeah. And so when you came, when you came and said like, Hey, you know, this, this sort of sucks for the thing we're doing, but this is really good news for me. I promise you, I'm nothing but happy for you. You, what an opportunity that you have gotten so big on TikTok that you have, how many followers do you have now?
2: It's like 150,000, but I've only been on it a couple months. So I I know that 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 could grow.
1: Yeah. And so at some point, I expect to see 300,000 and and, 500,000, which means that what you're saying is meaningful. And when you came forward and said, like, hey, you know, this is getting so big that TikTok is giving me a chance to make an income here, Um, absolutely. Like, let's let's figure out how we help Brit Hartley uh, succeed in that space. And uh, I will be forever grateful for the time that you've spent with this podcast. And I'm sure we'll have you on numerous times in the future, but um, it's been so big and folks, it's probably a good point to explain sort of how we're shifting. This podcast takes time and, uh, and I, I don't want to shortchange any of you. And so folks, what, What I've decided would be really a cool thing to do is now that and you were kind of explaining this before the show started, Britt. but this was sort of my thinking is that we've spent several years now going into a plethora of topics that help the person deconstructing to start rebuilding something new and helpful to themselves. Reconnecting who they are in terms of an identity, um, feeling safe to make new choices about how they'll live out their life. And so the thing that I did in the last month or so is I, I created like 80 questions that I think really get to the depth of a person and their experience. I'm going to throw this up on the screen for a moment. Um, You know, what role do psychedelic experiences play in your personal journey? Uh, Can you share a pivotal moment or experience in your life that significantly influenced your current perspective on spirituality or personal development? How do you view the relationship between vulnerability and personal growth? Just tons of really deep questions. And in the last month I've been reaching out to, I don't know, at this point, 20 or 30 people. But by the time I'm done, I hope to have a hundred of these. I want to invite onto the podcast folks that I trust to be really grounded, really wise. They've got uh, really um, cool life experiences And uh, give them this entire list and ask them to pick 10 questions that they would like to address in an interview. And I've already recorded one of those. And that should come out next, uh, this coming Tuesday, I believe. Um, But I've got another one lined up for tomorrow morning to record. I've got two lined up for next Wednesday. And so now over the next uh, several months, what you're going to see every Tuesday at one o'clock Is uh, a person sitting down with me and having an interview about the parts of their life that they'd like to share with you where, as Richard Rohr says, the second half of life where that's uh, opened them up to seeing the world differently. So, for instance, tomorrow uh, in the morning, I'm going to interview a friend of mine named Miles. He's a gay man. He was Mormon and he married a woman doing the Mormon thing and tried so hard to make that work. And just one of the most genuine, loving, compassionate human beings that I've ever met in my life. I I, I love this man. And um, he's going to share, he's going to open up and share with us what his life journey has been like and the wrestles that he's had along the way and how he's uh, come out of that uh, being a really happy, healthy, content human being. Um, and I'm really excited for folks to be able to sit down with you know, 50 of these conversations, a hundred of these conversations. And the first one that has already been recorded, I thought just went better than I thought it would. So I really expect these questions to drive really uh, entertaining, insightful, um, helpful, deep conversations that I think will benefit all of us uh, to hear. And, and so I think this will be a ton of fun. And at some point, Britt Hartley, my hope is to have you back on and have you pick 10 of these questions.
2: Yeah, and, yeah. Uh,
1: we can have a conversation.
2: I'll definitely be come back often. And what I love about this kind of shift for the podcast is, is, you know, this podcast was running for a year before I came on. And then we did kind of two years together. And I really felt in these two years, we brought a lot of content on what spiritually spirituality looks like and what rebuilding looks like outside of religion. And then I feel like we've gone over kind of the big topics and the big questions that people have and that we had as we're putting our lives back together. And so now that we've kind of done that work of outlining what this looks like, it's now moving into the space of, okay, what does this look like embodied in a human person? Like, what does this look like embodied in someone's life? And it's almost like, you know, we spent a couple of years going over like the rules of the game or what we're doing or you know just just information and and kind of more data driven stuff and now we're moving into okay let's let's see how people play this game let's see how people actually do this so instead of just having andrew newman on or john ogden on to talk about the science of of spirituality for children where you're actually asking real people what does spirituality look like you know in your family in your family like what do you do in your family environment and it'll give you ideas about how you could do that in your own family. And so I just really think this is a natural direction for the podcast that, that, you know, we've spent a couple of years kind of outlining what this space looks like. And now we're moving into what does this look like in real people, in real people's lives, instead of maybe more in the abstract way, just kind of talking about it. And so I, I think it's just going to be a really great kind of next move for uh something helpful for people on this half of life of you can go back to kind of all of those podcasts that we've done but if you want to see what that looks like in a real person um, to give you ideas on on practicality wise you know how people do this on this side of life um, you're just going to have people from all walks of life doing these interviews showing what that looks like and I just think it's it's such a beautiful shift for the podcast
1: Yeah. And and you're going to see all the things that we covered that Britt and I have covered over the last couple of years. You're going to see these themes come up in these conversations. I'm already aware of three or four of these intersections where, um, you know, one of the people that I I asked if they would do the interview and they said, yes, they're really big into crystals, for instance. And uh, I know that they don't believe in them literally. They don't believe they have magic power, but they do believe that if I pick up this crystal that has something to do with healing and I put my focus and intention and meditation uh, holding this and thinking about that, uh, then, then I get to receive a benefit of that. And so you're going to see these these themes of kind of challenging the woo and uh, stages of development, um, uh, biases and uh, life experiences, the hero's yeah. journey. We're going to see all these things come back up again. And So I'm super excited to, to move into the next step. By the way, folks, there's a, a new intro and outro for the show that you'll see next week. Um, and uh, we're going to miss you a ton, Britt Hartley, um, but uh, we've done some good work, and yeah. I know this. the audience didn't grow the way we, we had hoped it would, but there's a significant number of people who do listen and watch it, and the comments that I get back and the ones that you see indicate that people that are following the show get a lot of benefit from the second half of life conversations.
2: And I kind of knew the podcast would never be kind of as big as you know, snarky podcasts that kind of get into your tribalism where you can just, I don't know, some of those podcasts, they're just easier to to love because they're just super controversial. And we're in here doing actually, I mean, it's the reason that, that real spirituality is is so hard and the fake spirituality is is so rampant is because it's so much easier to just join a religion and sing the song and get in the cult of it and the deep actual work is really hard and it's less culty and it's less um fun sometimes (laughs) um and so i knew it would never be like you know the podcast would be the next cult because we're actually really doing some hard work um but yeah i'm just super proud of of what we did and for the people who have gone on this journey with me and um been the audience so that we had someone to talk to when we were doing these podcasts. Just everything that I do from this point forward is because of those people who showed up to our podcast and gave me a reason to put together this material week after week. And I just grew so much and grew into my own voice so much. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful for those who um, took took the journey with us. And I hope that. You know, it provided a lot of value for me. I'll consider this project one of the biggest kind of growing things that I've done in my life. And um, having having the audience listen and having you, Bill, kind of show up and do and do the tech and to bring content um, really made that happen for me. And I just couldn't be more
1: grateful. Where can where can folks find your TikTok?
2: Yeah, so my ta- my tagline for everything is going to be no-nonsense spirituality, and I'm going to start putting up more courses on my website. I'm going to start doing live courses mm. where we're going through deconstruction, where we're going through nihilism, where we're going through some of these things, and we can do it kind of as a cohort with other people. And then uh, doing a lot of TikToks where I'm breaking up all the, all the things that we've talked about over the past two years of breaking it up into just little ideas, um, that people can can find a little bit more digestible than some of our two hour podcasts perhaps. And, um, and so I'll be on TikTok doing that too. And then just starting to do more, um, stuff on my own platform, which is new for me. I've always kind of done things with other people. Um, as I've kind of gone through my education or podcasting or anything like that. And so I'm excited to see what my own platform looks like and how I can, this is part of my meaning and purpose, and this is how I kind of connect to people. And so, um, if you're not a TikToker, that's okay. There'll be more things on my website. where i will all do kind of some live courses over some of the things that we've talked about here that you can do with other people. And so that's kind of where I'm going. And, um, it's a maybe goodbye to this kind of part of the podcast where I'm the co-host, but I know it's not going to be goodbye for mm-hmm. me and my friend Bill, and I know that I'll be on the on the podcast again at some point. And, um, but just kind of goodbye to this chapter and just grateful for all that it was.
1: Yeah. Check out Britt Hartley at No Nonsense Spirituality on TikTok. Britt, I wish you all the best, and uh, uh, I know you well enough to know that you're going to kill it. So good luck, my friend.
2: Thanks, friend. And thanks for everybody uh watching and supporting the podcast over the years. And keep supporting the podcast because I think it's going to go to some really beautiful places from here on out, too.
1: Yep. And you'll see that for the first time next week, folks. Have a great day. Check out almostawaken.org. Drop a few bucks in a donation. We much appreciate it. And check out Britt Hartley on TikTok, uh, where she's just killing it. And uh, <laughs> I look forward to all the great things you're gonna do, Britt. Britt, have an awesome day. Folks, have a great day and uh See you next week for a new chapter in the Almost Awakened podcast.
2: Thanks, everybody. Bye.
0: This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes. Make a donation to keep this podcast running. Email us a question or comment. We'll find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit NoNonsenseSpirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hart.